Good morning. Yeah, so we are in the middle now of our study of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 3. If you've got a Bible, you might want to find your way there, pull it up on your app, open up the notes, tcbchurch.org or TCB, uh, TCB Church on all those kind of app places, app stores. You can find that. Follow along. Also, great resources to help you study, okay? So study, read through Hebrews with us, enjoying so much the last few weeks. If you've missed the last two, I want to encourage you after this, go back and listen to them. They'll help this week make more sense. We're kind of in the middle of this building argument. And I got to just pause and acknowledge something. I wish I were a better communicator, that my sentences were like eloquent. And they were just a delight to your ears. I mean, I just wish I were better at it. And I have no one really to blame other than myself. I mean, no one had to teach me how to just end a sentence in the middle and just never come back to it. I got there all on my own. However, there are certain things as a communicator, certain bad habits that have been influenced upon me. Um... One of those comes from my wife. She taught me the joy of saving the subject for the end. Let let me give you an example of kind of how this works. Hey, will you get me something? It's in there. It's behind that white bottle. I think it's there. Maybe Lena got it. I don't know. Your mom may have took it. It could be in the pantry. It's next to that thing you like. And after like five minutes of that, I'm like, and she goes, the ketchup. You could have said it first. Come on, don't look at me like that doesn't happen to some of you. This happens in my house. And man, early in marriage, it was hard. It was frustrating. I was irritated. Since then, I've learned to like accept it like a game show. She's in the middle of one of those five-minute descriptions, and I'm like, what is ketchup? And I just imagine confetti falling, and I want a new car, and it's just great. You just learn to embrace these things. And so it's, it just is a common thing for me now to save the subject for the end and to just build and describe and try to teach. We like things to be simple. Sometimes, however, we're talking about concepts that are multifaceted. They have layers. They're complex. And teaching them is different than just saying them. The author of Hebrews is beginning to teach deeper truths. And they're hard to explain. They're they're becoming uh, harder to follow. In a few chapters, he's actually going to say, about this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. Now, I'm not saying you and I are dull of hearing. That's not my point, although I'm certain it is true for us in many instances. However, my point here is that you would see that the author of Hebrews is teaching these deeper truths that are harder to explain. And in our immature state, in our natural state, in our lack of growth, In time in the word, we lack the materials for the construction. In other words, it's really hard to put a roof up if you have no walls. 
And so some of the argument, some of the rationale is built on these pillars, this foundation, these walls that may or may not be lacking in our heart and in our mind. And so we're tempted, we're tempted to dismiss those big truths and settle for partial truths. We find ourselves in such a section of Scripture. We're in the middle of this single letter to the Hebrews. And within the context of it, we're in the middle of this building argument. All the way back in chapter 1, it started with Jesus as the better revelation. God in full made himself known in the Son. Through Jesus, we know God. Hence, the revelation proclaimed in Jesus surpassed that of God's heavenly servants, the angels. And it surpassed that of God's earthly servants, even great deliverers and heroes like Moses and Joshua. While these creations are servants in the creation, Jesus, the Son, God, is the creator over the creation. He is not a servant in the house. He is a son over the house. And so Jesus, and Jesus alone, brings deliverance, brings rest. A rest that is incomparable with anything that could be delivered by an angel, or a Moses, or a Joshua. And so for us today, Jesus is our hope, our confidence. Our life is in him and in him alone. Therefore, do not neglect his deliverance. And you may be sitting there and you may be thinking, I would never. And that's the exact thought that these Hebrews would have as they read this. No, I wouldn't. And so the author points them back to Israel's rebellion as an example. And to say, you wouldn't be the first to neglect such a salvation. So in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, the author writes, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For those, or for who were those, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? 
So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. Last week we saw Israel's faithlessness deliver death, not rest. And so verse 19, catch it, so we see today with hindsight, we look back that they, faithless Israel, were unable to enter the promised land and its rest. Why? Because of unbelief. That's our big truth. Unbelief keeps us from entering Jesus' rest. So how do we respond to that? What do we do with that? I want to walk you through it. I want you to see this really just beautiful kind of argument and rationale here in Hebrews, just kind of point by point. First, be faithful. Be faithful. We have entered into Jesus' rest only if, We hold our original confidence firm to the end. He's making this point. He's reemphasizing. In verse 6, he said, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Verse 14, We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so let's just pause and answer two questions. First, can we be justified, declared right before God? Titus 3 7. Saved, Romans 8 24. Redeemed, Galatians 3 13. Elected, Romans eleven seven. Reconciled, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Can we be delivered into Jesus' rest and lose it? Can we lose our salvation once it is obtained? There's a simple and clear answer, and that is no. No. And this question examines who God is, for he is powerful and sovereign. We are in uh, Peter last year, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The born again have a salvation guarded by God's power that is imperishable, 
unfading and kept by God for you. This is an assuring reality. This should bring us comfort. It should bring us security. Those in Christ Jesus are kept by the very power of God. The same power of God that converted you, keeps you, grows you more and more into the image of Jesus. It is God's work, and he will finish it. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. And there is a part to this that rightfully so is incredibly, again, therapeutic. We like it. Man, that's good for us. That is good news. And so we tend to avoid the tension of studying any further, of asking a really important second question. The justified cannot lose their standing before God. However, can we deceive ourselves into thinking we are justified, right with God? That we have been delivered into Jesus' rest through a faith that is not authentic. We're in East Tennessee, so we'll embrace our roots. Can you think you is, but you ain't? Can you think you are in Jesus and not be? And the short and clear answer is yes. Yes, and this question examines who we are, broken and limited. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Can you be redeemed, called into Jesus' rest and lose it? No. Can you believe you're in Jesus and fail to enter his rest? Yes. See, faith and repentance are inseparable acts of grace. At conversion, grace-fueled faith proclaims Jesus is God and Savior. And the Jesus follower dies to self and turns to Jesus for life. And after after conversion, that faith and repentance is tested every day as new and more temptations and idols and suffering presents itself. Grace-fueled faith holds the same conviction throughout. With each passing day, as a new temptation forms, as a A new idol presents itself in front of the authentic Jesus follower. By the grace of God, your faith will hold. Will hold. 
Jesus is God and Savior, death to self, life in Him. See, the assurance of our salvation isn't a memory. You won't find that in Scripture. The assurance of our salvation is a present fruit of a persevering faith and repentance at work in our lives. Let let me just try to picture it for you a little bit. Saving faith perseveres. A 10-year-old repents, places saving faith in Jesus. Death to self, life in Jesus. Jesus is Lord over my popularity, over my athletic future as a little league star, over my time. As a 17-year-old, faith holds, death to self, life in Jesus. Jesus is Lord over my romantic interests, right? Who will I marry? My career choices. As a 30-year-old, death to self, life in Jesus over my suffering, over my kids, over my ambitions. As an 80-year-old, death to self, life in Jesus over regret, over legacy, over death. See, the 10-year-old knew nothing of the future idols, temptations, and suffering. But what they knew at 10 was this. Left of myself, I'm dead in my sin, and Jesus offers life. And as years and years went by and more and more temptations, that authentic work of the Spirit that is alive in them kept that conviction from beginning until the end. Whatever came, there's death in self and there's life in Jesus. This is the work of the Spirit in our salvation. This is our faith. This is the assurance that we are in Christ Jesus that our faith would hold to the end. Now imagine an 80-year-old saying, yes, I am a Christian. I remember trusting Jesus when I was 10, and I gave him the ambitions to my Little League career. He goes, well, that's awesome. It's been 70 years. You got, you got anything? Is there, is there any?" faith at work that is held and they say no no I've just lived for myself since then I found life in me he wasn't worth all the other things he wasn't worth my marriage he wasn't worth my kids he wasn't worth my career he was worth that back there but he wasn't worth all of this see the truth is the very revelation of God says he's worthy of your life that faith didn't hold it wasn't of the spirit it was of the flesh See, if the redeemed are in Christ Jesus, redeemed by the grace of God through faith, by the power of God, our faith will hold. Jesus will remain Lord and Savior to the end. We will live a life of repentance and faith, running away from death to self, running into life in Jesus. 
But if our faith is a measure of our own effort and does not hold until the end, we never had saving faith in Jesus. We never entered into his rest. And so the author is making this point and he uses Israel's rebellion as an example. Verse 15, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. Notice the rationale, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ. Here's the qualifier. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm. Until the end. And an example is given of Israel. Who did not hold their faith. And died in the wilderness. Because of their unbelief. Those who have entered rest in Jesus. Remain faithful. Until the end. Be faithful. Second. Be aware. Be aware. Look at verse 12. Starts and says, take care brothers. Now this term brothers, is, is de- it's debated kind of within this section of Scripture. I'm just going to acknowledge it really quick. Some say, well, if it's brothers, then it me- does it mean brothers in Jesus? And if it does, then how can that be? Because they fall away. So some argue, no, it's brothers and then like the Hebrew race brothers. Let me kind of back away from that for just a moment and say something that's really important. It's not critical for the main point. Like, I've studied it. You can study it. You can have your opinion on which way it's going. Why isn't it critical? Since the audience can believe they are in Jesus but not be, addressing one as a brother in the present while acknowledging the testing to come, it just makes sense. This happens through our teaching team for example every week you'll hear me or pastor mike or pastor paul say church brothers and sisters sometimes paul will say beloved mike and i aren't that cool we can't we can't we can't throw that out the same way paul can but we will acknowledge that we're speaking to the church but i've got to be honest i i don't i don't think everyone who hears me says the words church is an authentic Jesus follower. I think some are probably deceived. I don't know who that is. And what I want you to do is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All of you, myself included, constantly holding the faith until the end. And he says, take care. Look carefully. See with discernment. Later he says, in you. In yourself, searching for any unbelief out of step with my original confidence and faith. Why? Why would I do this? Least there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart 
leading you to fall away from the living God. Unbelief leads us to reject who God has revealed himself to be. Listen, he can't be God in Egypt, but not in the wilderness. He can't be God at 10 and not at 80. We can't believe he's supreme and then hold on to an idol. Recalling a memory at 10 while we hold to unbelief isn't saving faith, it's a lie. And holding on to that lie leads you to fall away from God and the entrance into his rest. This is broken down really well in a resource that you can find on tcbchurch.org slash Hebrews. There's a great uh, um, video there. It's called Look at the Book. It breaks down this text. It'll explain it further. It's 15 minutes. I'd encourage you this week, go back, listen to that, and study through this text a little bit more. But what of our assurance? Our assurance is in Jesus, not ourselves. Take care, brothers. Take care, brothers, that we constantly examine ourselves. Trusting in Jesus to do the work, to reveal the sin, the unbelief, and to lead us to repentance. What assurance looks like. See, I think we get this wrong a lot. Let me just give you a real quick example. I think we get this wrong a lot with our kids. My daughter, a few years ago, a couple years ago, placed saving faith in Jesus. Baptized, a couple weeks goes by, and I remember we're sitting at a table, and she goes, hey, do you think I'm really a Jesus follower now? You know what I said? I don't know. I don't know. If you are, your faith will persevere. I said, what did you think it would be like? She goes, I felt like I'd be like a superhero. We so want to give assurance, to hold on to a memory rather than to walk with our brothers and sisters and say, take care. Can you not see the perseverance of your faith that after suffering, after idol, after temptation, you still hold, and yes, your life looks like a mess, but you cry out death to self, life in Jesus in faith, and with all of your heart, you are crying out for deliverance, for life in Him. It's not your works. It's a faith and a trust in him and who he has revealed himself to be. These should be the conversations of assurance. Third, be connected. Verse 13, look, it says, But exhort means call, summon, admonish, speak to. Speak into one another's lives. Expose these things. Talk about these things. One another, again, the people that you're around, the brothers and sisters that are constantly around you, the professing believers. Well, how should I do this? He says, every day, as long as it is called today. 
This is a description of life on mission. You should be doing it all the time. Faith is tested in the present. It doesn't stop. It's one of the reasons Tri-Cities just gives handle to something like our process that begins with observe. That you would always be looking in the lives of others thinking, what's the next step that I can add, I can expand, I can restore? That we would look at one another through the lens of discipleship. That we would lean into this work. That we would be connected to one another every day as long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened. That word hardened means stubborn. Falsely convinced. Hills dug in in error. By the deceitfulness of sin. Unbelief is the prideful rejection of God's revelation. That's sin. We deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. And when we're connected in God's body, in the local church with other believers, we present ourselves to one another. Examine me. Speak into my life. Point out the things I don't see. Use the gifts of the Spirit and the maturity that you have as my brothers and sisters to ensure that I am not being deceived and led astray. Consider a familiar verse in this context that we'll find later in Hebrews. Hebrews 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near for if we go on sinning deliberately After receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. Be connected. Finally, be humble. Fear, lest you not enter Jesus' rest. Verse 1, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, we'll talk more about this next week, let us fear. Now, we've looked at that word, and we know in the church more than being scared, it really means like a reverent. Here, it's a cautious humility. The way to think about it, a lot of us, again, East Tennessee reference, we grew up around guns, and you remember someone who would teach you how to use the gun, you're going to hunt, whatever, and they'll say something like, you treat the gun with respect. It's like not even a, like a person, but you get the point. The idea is you don't just flippantly throw it around. You don't, no, no, no. You realize what you're approaching, what you're doing, the danger it represents. And so there is a cautious humility Romans 11.20 says, They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. It's the idea. 
So do not dismiss your faith as if it were something in the past. Examine it. Test it. Work it out. Does that sound familiar? 2 Corinthians 3.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Least any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Cautious humility. Why not confident victory? Least we be deceived. And fail to reach our rest in Jesus. For the good news has uh, good news came to us, just as to them. Again, back to Israel. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith. They didn't have saving faith. They didn't persevere until the end. So while they may share in some Hebrew lineage, they were not united with those who are in Jesus by faith. We live still in a Christianized culture. Our burden for the lost can't end with those who are defiantly in rejection of Jesus, obstinate. Our burden for the lost in our communities has to include those who are deceived, led astray. And holding on to a faith that is not in who God has revealed himself to be. We must understand that the consequences of such unbelief is a rejection of the very salvation sent. And the consequence is death. Separation from God. It should break us should break our hearts. We should look at our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, and we should see a lens that with every day, as long as it is called today, they will hear us proclaim Jesus. Not to just those out there, but to those in here. Least none of us be deceived. This is a mission that God has equipped and set his church apart for. This is part of discipleship. And the sweetest aspect of it all, as we live this way, day by day, as our conversations would work this way, we will be reminded that God is at work in our lives. The redeemed will not just hold on to a salvation of a memory of something 10, 20, 50 years ago. The redeemed will see the very power of the Spirit transforming them, holding them steady through every trial, every suffering, every idol to come, that they might be encouraged and assured by a saving faith that is present, holding firm by the grace of God until the end. We are robbing one another of that. 
when we neglect these conversations. I'm going to ask you to take just a moment and transition with me. Every, eh, about two times a year, we have a prayer service where we come together as a church and ask the Lord to set on our minds people to go proclaim the gospel to. We're going to do that in just a moment. As we do, if you're here, and you don't know Jesus, there's not saving faith in your life, I want to encourage you in just a moment, out these doors to the left, right here, there's an area called the hub. There are people that want to talk with you about Jesus. Remind you that he is good and faithful. And to those who have entered his rest, there is hope, confidence, and assurance. But we, the church, have been reconciled and now given the ministry of reconciliation. We have been set apart as ambassadors. Go be ambassadors. That's our final point. You see that the good news has come to us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. So we're going to go into a season of prayer, and I'm just going to ask that we would take a few moments as a church and that we would pray for a burden for the lost around us, a burden to proclaim the gospel. We would pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us, deepen us, give us a love for who God is, that would see us break in desperation to proclaim the rest in Jesus to those that are around us. Just a moment, someone's going to come up and close this session of prayer. But I'm going to ask you right now, bow your head, close your eyes, and go to the Lord and ask him, Father, give me a burden for the loss. Would you pray?